Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host, Ed Marks. Ed Marks here, Digital Voices. We're going to cover digital transformation, but from a new angle, and that is of a digital health influencer. So can't wait to introduce you to our guest. But before we get started, Megan, do you follow any sort of influencers on like IG or TikTok or anything? Yeah, on Instagram, mostly. Um, I like to follow home stuff, mom stuff, um, marketing and work stuff. There's an influencer named Lo Whaley on Instagram. Um, She has this it's, it's comical, but also really informative series on how, how do you professionally say? And there, she has these like video series. It's really, you should check it out. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. You know, one of my favorite influencers to follow in digital health is uh, my friend who's originally from Portugal and I'll let him introduce himself in a little bit. Um, so his name is Hual Bocas and I may, uh, it's John really in Portuguese. And I'm sorry if I messed up your name a little bit there, but I, I'm really thrilled to have you on. You're the, our number one digital health influencer and wearables expert, and you're a speaker and you do a lot of different things. And so I want to welcome you to the program. Oh, thank you, uh, Edward. I'm, I'm delighted to, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. Is a pleasure and an honor, an honor to be here. So we first met really online. So it's probably been a year or a couple of years, but as I've learned more about digital transformation, digital health, you know, obviously I came across you and, and I started following you and learning a lot from a lot of the information and ideas that you put out. Um, and so it's great to connect, you know, visually and then on the podcast. And one of the questions we always ask all of our guests that all of our audience always wants to know is what are the songs on your playlist? What kind of music do you like to listen to? Oh, wow. I was not expecting that. Uh, well, I like dance music and trance music because of my generation of my clubbing days in the 80s and 90s. So I always have some kind of... Um, uh, dance music on the background, but lately I've been listening a lot to um, uh, Tina Turner and George Michael, which I found the music to be like eternal. You can use, I mean, they've been producing music for like 40 years and you listen to, you listen to their music in the 80s or now in 2022 and it always feels very contemporaneous. It always feels like it's always good to listen to them. So, yeah, no, that's good. Good class, what we might call classic uh, music today. But yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. What about your life message or mantra? Is there a, is there some sort of guiding words that, that you use to guide your life? I, I don't really have like um, a mantra guideline, but as you know, Edward, I'm a fairly motivated person and very active. I like to have fun um, in everything I do in my uh, leisure, but also even working. I'm always like trying to bring energy to the workplace and all into all my activities. 
but I like to keep healthy and fit. And also I'm into big dreams and achieving things. So I always have like something on my hit list, if you like. So I'm always trying to push forward. I know that you can identify with that because you are also an active person and we have this thing in common. You're probably even more active than me anyway, but that's a different uh, but that's a different story. <laughs> no, no, we're going to, no, I like that. And we're going to jump into some of that actually, but tell us your story. You obviously have an accent. I already shared that you're, I think you're originally from Portugal. Uh, tell us your story. Uh, you know, how, you know, personal side, professional side. Sure. Yeah. Portuguese. I born in, in Lisbon, um, to be precise, 3rd of August, 1972. 1974. I always make jokes when I do my keynotes. I always say my date of birth, and then I said I'm 27. So get people <laughs> thinking about my. It doesn't quite match up. So my birthday is actually coming up soon. Um, I, I, as a kid, I was always playing football on the streets. Um, my my big dream, uh, as many many young boys, you want to be a professional footballer because of the fame, the accolade, but also you have this passion. <laughs> I always have a passion for sport, uh, and I, pr- I play football not professionally. Unfortunately, I was not uh, up to the grade, and I didn't make the professional world. I got involved in in other things, um, but I always play sport. I play football. I play basketball. I play volleyball. I play table tennis, athletics. I, I was always involved in gymnastics as a kid. I was always involved in sport for a very young age. So sport is really a backbone of my life. But now I like sports and health. And then I moved to UK. I worked in sales for a number of years in Portugal. In my That's where I started my, my career. Um, I, I, I've done my uh, college in accountancy and management, and then I moved into sales, commercial sales. I worked for Panasonic in Portugal and other brands, and I sold different things. But I was not happy in the sales um, environment. So in them, I hit a very difficult phase in my life in Portugal, in Lisbon. I was actually quite depressed, and, and I was not very happy. I decided to make a, to make a change. I came to UK. I came to UK in uh, June 2001, it's 21 years ago, and I came to the south coast of England, to Brighton, where I still am 21 years later. I was selling, um, I was a state agent and selling properties in Portugal, and I thought it would benefit me a lot if I would learn English and I could sell to the British um, uh, clients and also all over the country. But what happened, Edward, was... I had a bit of a rush reality when I came over. It was very difficult. You know, I, I don't like the word immigration. I never saw myself as an immigrant. But when I came over, I couldn't speak English. I carry some depression and some life struggles with me. And life was extremely difficult in here in UK for the first couple of years. So, um, and then eventually... I end up staying. I was quite naive. I thought I would learn English in three months and go back to Portugal. Yeah, and with all these amazing. In the first year, Edward, I couldn't actually communicate with people. The, the English people also, they have this th- phonetic thing. They speak inside and, and they speak very fast. And the first year was extremely difficult. And on top of that, I was doing all these jobs that nobody wants to do. The cleaning. I was working in restaurants, doing the washing up, cleaning hotels. And anyway. I end up staying 
uh, I don't know how, but I ended up staying. And um, I got involved in sports. I graduated with a sports degree a few years later, and then I started coaching football with the um, a community a football club, which now is a very well-known football club in the, in the Premier League in England, which Brighton and Nova Albion Football Club. I worked for them for over 10 years, but they always had these two passions, uh, uh, sport and health. And health because I wasn't always very healthy. I used to smoke and drink a lot and take things that I probably shouldn't be taking. And, you know, so I have these very two very strong influences in my life, sport and health. No, that's that's a fascinating uh, story. Thank you for sharing it on a, on a personal level. Yeah, I think we've all have some sort of story, you know, that we don't always share with people, but it definitely shapes who we are. And I can see how that background brought you to where you are today. Uh, and so that's great. Yeah, we do share a love for football and for our audience. Of course, we're talking about soccer. Uh, we say football. Yeah. Uh, I grew up, you know, in Germany playing a lot of football. And that really helped me when I came to the United States, uh, sort of transition uh, through sport, uh, kind of like you did in the UK. And that's, that's awesome that you were able to make a life for yourself and, and work through all, the, all, all those struggles and, and lead you to the type of leader you are today. You know, and staying on soccer for one more, one more second, uh, any lessons that you learned from the pitch or for, for those who don't know, that would be the soccer field, the playing field, any lessons that you've learned uh, from the pitch that influence your leadership today? Well, Edward, I, I've done a lot of things, you know. One thing I didn't share, I was actually a, an amateur football referee for over 12 years as well. On the back of the coaching, I was going out. And football refereeing is certainly... I consider myself a very um, resilient person because of my life experiences. But also, the football refereeing really shaped my character. One thing that I've learned was not to actually react and overreact and and take things small things minor things personally otherwise you could be fighting five in five minutes <laughs> and my friends they used to say why do you do football refereeing it's a crazy job people abuse you they call you names they call your mom's names they call your family names and anyway but one thing i learned was about me was I'm a quite resilient person and also not to behave that others want you to behave. If you stay with your morals, your integrity and your character, that will carry you a long way. But of course, I'm a human being. Sometimes I, I would maybe say things that I shouldn't <laughs> say, but I'll never really give back to the players in the same coin, which I really, really wanted to because I'm a human being, right? If you told me yeah. a name, my tendency is probably to try to defend myself. But letting go of like personal attack is extremely, extremely difficult. But yeah, uh, yeah football refereeing is certainly one of a hell of a challenge, which you have to overcome for 90 minutes or slightly more. <laughs> yeah, no, it's funny because I was actually a longtime referee as well. Uh, and I come from a family of... Uh, referees. And so, yeah, someday we'll have to have a, a podcast just on, you know, the lessons learned from being a, a football 
uh, referee. I've got some good stories and I know that you do as well. Uh, so digital health influencer, tell us what that means. I mean, you're, you're, you're definitely in the top in the world in terms of digital health influencing. Tell us, uh, what does that mean to you? Yeah, what happened with me was, Edward, I got involved in technology. Oh, I say by accident, but not by accident. I, I was always in health. I worked in corporate wellness for over 15 years and I've been in healthcare for over 20 years. Um, in 2015, I was doing a digital health startup with um, with a business partner. We had this idea about creating a digital health platform to aggregate data from wearables and then go to the marketplace to do predictive analytics and also gather intelligence around around health. Um, it didn't work out well. But then what happened was I I, I always been very um, active in networking. I like talking to people. As you can see, I have the podcast, but I like talking to people. When I go to events, people always say, yeah, we talk to so many people. I approach people and I like to talking to people. And I created a profile for myself. Also, back in 2015, I created some business cards calling myself digital health influencer and um, CEO of my consulting business. And people used to ask me, what does that mean? So I was, I never get these accolades, uh, Edward, but I was the world's first digital health influencer. There was no interpretation of the word, of the, of the sentence, of the title, if you like, whatsoever. People used to ask me, what does that mean? Well, I share uh, good practices in industry, the latest news. I share the good technology. I share my opinion. So I do all this stuff. And eventually now the world and the environment that we live today is very different. People are actually fighting for the rankings to be an influencer, to be on the top, to, you know, back then was an alien concept to be an influencer. What now is an industry in its own right, in digital health, but also outside digital health. You see, for example, I'm not an Instagram influencer, but on Instagram is a different world, but also on Twitter and in health and in other industries, the influencer marketing is an industry in its own right. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, you're sort of a pioneer of making that happen. Yeah, it's kind of funny too, because some of the, some of the rankings come from vendors that are, rank the people that use their product uh it's it's kind of it's it's funny how how that has all evolved but but to me i you know you're putting a lot of content out there that other people can utilize themselves uh can take advantage can learn from and you know kind of see what's on the cutting edge and speaking of which digital is always evolving Right. There's always new things being invented, the innovation, new applications to uh, technology. How do you keep up with it? You, you know, especially as an influencer, you, you've got a lot of pressure to be the one that's keeping up with it. Yeah, sure. So I, I'm very active on social media and I try to, yeah, to see what's going on in the market and be updated with the latest innovations. You are right. It's actually quite a challenge because there are so many startups, there are so many geographical uh, barriers, uh, there are so many innovators. So especially in my space, I try to keep one eye on things and with a good lenses to scrutinize what is good, what is not. But it's actually quite difficult because uh, in digital health, there is a lot of innovation going on. You know, and now digital health became very uh, very big in a sense of they have multi segments 
from digital therapeutics to wearable technologies to artificial intelligence to uh, robotics to so many things. So it's actually being is actually very challenging to be an expert in everything. But you know, but I try to really keep up what with what is new out there. Yeah. No, it's it is a, a very challenging task, as you mentioned. Do you see global differences? So you've got the advantage in a sense that you're sitting there in the UK. You know, I, I see a lot what happens in North America. I try to keep a a lookout what's happening across the world, certainly through you. Uh, but I think you're probably in an in a even better position uh, because where you are, do you see global differences, you know, in terms of the adoption of digital technologies or some, some continents or countries ahead of others? What I notice, Edward, is I notice similar challenges and problems that we face, but I also notice different paces of um, uh, innovation, adoption, and I see uh, many countries being in a privileged position. And I'll give you an example. Uh, the Nordic countries, and I've done a lot of consultancy with health tech startups and scale-ups from Finland, Norway, Denmark, uh, uh, I, I, I really, Sweden, I really highly regard um the Nordics because they they are very innovative and they also have um, they also the governments have a supporting mechanism to innovate. They encourage innovation. They actually allow, for example, in Finland startups to have access to the hospitals. I mean, they're not gonna do like a major transformation right away, but they allow. Uh, people to do small pilots and try things out, try technologies. There are incentives for a tax for innovation. So these countries are actually um, encouraging people to uh, take up entrepreneurship, to start a company that eventually will be successful and uh, generate jobs and, and everything. So, but also they're very innovative. And I'll give you an example. Finland is actually the pioneer of wearables. They brought to the marketplace three, four big brands in wearables. Now you have the other ring, but a couple of years ago you had Polar. I mean, you have Sunto now. I mean, they really, for wearable tech, Finland is just a really a, a, a wearable bed, let's say. You used to say digital health bed, but wearable bed. But also, they're very, um, they're very well-educated countries. So they match their ambition with their innovation. And, and also, for example, they have the Nokia. They have big tech players for quite a while. So, yeah, these countries are, are actually in a very good position. On the other hand... Um, I see, for example, the, the United States, they have a different pace of adoption and you are more... Fra- fra- I see healthcare is fragmented, point. But in the United States, is a different dimension of fragmentation and also um, the complexity because the way your health system works. It's much easier to do a pilot, for example, in Finland. Yeah. They have... 20, uh, I mean, the things are more unified in small countries, which it's easier. It's easier. Yeah. You see the digital uh, reference in Europe is Estonia. They have the medical records probably in the same place for the last few years where 
whilst this, the UK is still trying to seven, eight years down the line, try to solve this issue. But they plan ahead. They execute. But it's easier to execute with three or four million uh, people population than for the United States is 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 a different, much different. But even in UK, I mean, the, the adoption has not been right. But I see all these nuances, you know, that actually have a lot to do with the way things are and the way things work and the pace of adoption and innovation. Yeah, no, that's a really interesting uh, point of view. And certainly you're you're sitting at a great place to see that. And, you know, I've had the privilege of, of consulting with a couple of governments of maybe third world countries, and they have a unique opportunity too that potentially, you know, they could leapfrog. They don't have to go through the same pains that we've gone through, like especially in North America. Uh, and if they were to do sort of a holistic countrywide initiative, they'd be able to take advantage of all the all the pioneers out there in the Nordic countries and sort of leapfrog and 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 do something. And I hope they do, uh, especially for those populations, because, you know, I, I still remember being on the Inca Trail like a year ago and. At around 14,000 feet, I ran across a nurse who was walking with her backpack, you know, and she was delivering healthcare. Um, and that's how they did it. They had to actually walk to homes, you know, because they were so remote and there's no hospitals in the area. And you could just see how they would benefit from, from uh, all sorts of modern telehealth uh, capabilities. So what about wearables, though? So I, I know that you're... You cover all of digital health, but you have a unique uh, insights and passion into wear, wearables. How did that come about? And and maybe give one example, if you want, about um, something something uh, innovative with wearables. Yeah, sure. I, I as I mentioned, I came from the professional sport uh, side of things, and and I start. I, I always train. You know, Edward. I sometimes I train for competitions, not at the moment, but I train to keep fit and healthy. To be honest, and wearables, it was a it was a kind of a progression. Uh, I was not using wearables when I was football refereeing, but I was already like using some um, uh, chronographers and some uh, smart smart watches and things like that. And then when wearables came around, I was very interested. I always want to track my health, and initially it was the steps. It was a big deal. Now it's not a big deal anymore. But it was the steps and the and then the garments for the sports performance and, you know, the running and the, the cycling. And and, then, and as you know, you are a, tri- a triathlete. Uh, the garment is the one to have because they do the swimming and everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I have one on, on, on the side as well. And and my my office at home is full of wearables. I could show you. <laughs> it's full of wearables. But anyway, I, I wear at the moment. Um, I'm interested in my sleep because I'm fairly active and I'm not training professionally for anything. So I would say the Aura Ring is a really nice, sleek wearable with some quality, qualitative and quantitative data. Uh, and also is a piece of uh, jewelry. And the wearables as we see today are very different than the wearables that we see a while ago. Now we're moving from the traditional wristband. Most wearables are still wristband, but now we're talking about hearables, the uh, earbuds. Now we have smart belts, smart rings, smart watches. We have uh, smart shoes. So the senses, they're going to go anywhere you can imagine, smart clothing. But I, I like the Aura Ring. It's a nice piece of innovation from a Finnish company. They're doing extremely well. They, they, um, 
collaborating with the NBA in uh, in US, they collaborating with the F1. So the guys are doing something right. That's one of my uh, favorites right now. Yeah, what do you think might be happening in the next couple of years? So kind of putting your future hat on. Where do you, where do you think we're headed? And I know it's we can't get too far out because you know things change so much, you know, in 5 years, but maybe uh 1 to 3 years. What what kind of uh innovations do you think we might see? Incredible. So I predict uh Edward that the wearables that we see today will eventually become obsolete and we are heading in that direction with the sensors and the sensing capabilities we don't need a wristband we don't need a smartwatch we can have a hearing or we can have um, a sensor on our belt so i predict that and we think that already in a smaller scale that wearables will become smaller more powerful, more capability, more battery life, more functionalities, but also they go around the human body. At the moment, with external, um, let's say, wearing, if you like, on our clothing, uh, but maybe in the future we're adding into the implantables and to intravenous um into the human body, which is a slight concern to start with, slight controversial. Uh, was a study in Sweden uh, recently with some implantable chips on um, on a pulse with a uh, size, a couple of milligrams size of uh, a grain of uh, rice that you could have all your your health data there. You could activate, for example, open an office or go to the gym. You could have your credit card details there. And that's where we are heading. I think things will really eventually, I mean, become extremely, extremely futuristic. No, that's that's pretty exciting. And you can just think about how it'll benefit not just uh, people like yourself that are fit and interested in health and, you know, continue to encourage wellness, but also help those that are sick and how we might help those because that's always been the argument right that we you and i people like us have to deal with is as a lot of these cool technologies we love them because we're like sort of wired that way we're like we want to know how we're sleeping we want to know how we're performing and so we, we're quick adopters because it helps us you know to really sharpen just uh, our fitness and our health um and we have to make sure that those who aren't necessarily wired like us, but need this for their health, for their health maintenance, for their, to get, you know, they might be sick today and to get, become healthy, uh, need to adopt these and have the same level of, uh, passion, if you will, about adopting these. Absolutely. And, you know, I was in corporate wellness for quite a long time, advising corporates about employee engagement programs and wellness and it was always the challenge was to engage the people they're not into into fitness, into wellness, into well-being. That's always the challenge. And also, even the ones they are like us, we kind of we very motivated. We keep going, yeah, in one way or another. I might miss a week of the gym, but the following week I'm back in, yeah. yeah. Um, but the sustainable engagement is always the challenge, and also is the education piece. And and is finding something that intrinsically motivate those we are not naturally motivated. 
what about if I don't care about my sleep, my eating, my drinking, my, how are you going to engage these people? So it's always the challenge. So, yeah, it's, and that's what makes it sort of fun about some of these, uh, new digital capabilities is, and you saw it early on with the steps, um, you know, it's just sort of like the gamification. And sometimes that's a good motivation is, is uh, someone wants to know, oh, I want eight hours of good sleep, or I want X hours of REM sleep, or I want to be able to accomplish 10,000 steps and they get sort of competitive. And there's this gamification that takes place. And that, that's, that's one one way that has been leveraged uh, in the past. Uh, but yeah, it's always a challenge on how to to get others to really take charge of their health and their wellness and take advantage of all these capabilities that we're talking about here. So if you were sitting in a C-suite of a hospital, let's pick on United States since that's where our podcast emanates from, because we already talked about some of the geographical differences. So it wouldn't, what I'm about to propose wouldn't be such a big deal if you were in a Nordic country, for example. But let's say you're an average hospital in North America and you're speaking to the C-suite about, you know, digital transformation and some of these new capabilities that we've been talking about the last uh, 25 minutes or so. What What might be your advice for those who are, who realize they need to make a step in this direction, but haven't yet. What, what would be like one or two things that they should consider? Uh, great, great challenge. Well, I would say uh, take a risk and start small because uh, applying this knowledge about the professional sports world, and I know you've done marathons and even bigger challenge than that, but a marathon starts with the first step, isn't it? Yes, you got to start yes. somewhere. Eventually, you train for 5K, 10K, and eventually deliver a marathon. Yeah, It's the same principle. Start small, try things out, pick a small player, do a small project, do a small pilot, but make sure you kind of head in that direction. Even this is a lost lead or is a learning curve. I'm not saying spend millions of dollars doing trying technologies. That's not what I'm saying. But start small and try things out. The second piece of advice I would give is pick the right partners to work with because that's extremely important. I mean, it's imp- I gave you this example in digital health, robotics, artificial intelligence, uh, machine learning, uh, wearables. It's impossible to be an expert in everything. And, and, and I know the C-suite people, they don't have time to study. They don't have time to follow these things. So picking the right partners, the technological partners, but also the people that can actually glue things together, bring things together. So bring someone that knows about transformation, bring someone that knows about wellness, bring someone that knows about the technology side, bring someone that knows about the wearables. So yeah, choosing the right partners to make it happen in an effective and um, productive way is extremely important. I can give you more and more uh, pointers, but I think this is extremely important, especially in digital in digital health, uh, Edward. There are hundreds of platforms and technologies and innovators out there. How are you going to scrutinize the market? You need someone to give you, you know, to say, look, try this top three or top five, or you know. No, that's sound advice. I I love it. Very very practical. Look, we've we've covered a lot. 
everything from our, our passion, our, our passion for football, uh, to refereeing, all things digital, global perspective, um, you know, some of the things where we're headed, uh, what to do if you're a C-suite and you find yourself sort of stuck, uh, some good practical advice. Uh, did we miss anything or is there anything that you want to sort of double down on? I give you the last, uh, last word here. No, not, not really. You know, I, 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 you know, talk a bit about myself, my passions, uh, you know, sport, health. I think this, it's about it. I mean, yeah, I'm extremely delighted to be here. And if I can be of help in any shape or form, I'm here to help. Yeah, we'll have uh, all of your contact information in our show notes. We really appreciate your insights. It's been really quite incredible, you know, thinking about this from a global perspective and to have sort of uh, the the pioneer of digital influencing uh, right here on Digital Voices. So thanks so much for being our guest. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, that wraps up Digital Voices. Thank you for listening to Digital Voices podcast with Ed Marks. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most importantly, thanks again for listening.